If you don't know me, um, I'm Chris, and Alice and I are the pastors here, and uh, going to be speaking for the next 25 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to have some time praying together. And we have a word which we sent as a word um, for the church for the year. Uh, it's from Jeremiah 29, um, and we have the a little 10-minute overview of that prophetic word um, as a podcast on our website. If you haven't heard it, would recommend it's one that you listen to. Uh, just kind of sense of what God's saying to us for 2019 as to how we dig in as a church. Last week we had some brilliant uh, Korean visitors here, and uh, the pastor Cho was speaking on um, on Sunday, and he was speaking about intercede, so uh, which is one of these four things we've got from this Jeremiah word. And today I'm speaking on on invest, and then next week we're going to bring it into land with Alice on increase, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the, the plan for the next two. And so, um, I think I can bring this up. This is the passage from Jeremiah that it was, uh, that we've been looking at. And, and it's particularly this, does this thing point? Oh, yeah, look. Um, so this, uh, this second line here, invest. So the people of Israel were in, in captivity. They're in exile in Babylon. And they knew that they promised land, uh, the land of Israel was the land that God had given them to be their home. And they were waiting to get back into that place, which they knew was their home. And to their surprise, God's saying, rather than I'm going to get you back into your, into your home as quickly as possible, he says this, he says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. He tells them to invest in the, in the place where they're living. And that's kind of similar to us in that we live in a world now, don't we, that is, that is far from perfect. We're surrounded by, we see a lot of good stuff, but we see a lot of brokenness. And, and we know that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to restore all things and he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth without suffering, without pain and, and death and destruction. But he has us in this time here now, not waiting for the kind of ejector seat to press onto the next phase of life, but to, but, but to actually fully um, give ourselves to this time that we have on earth here and to, to live wholeheartedly here, here and now. And I just want to dig into that a little bit this morning. And uh, particularly... I, I think I used to work in, in sort of finance world, and so I think about when I think of the word invest, I think of you put some money or you buy some materials um, in the in the heritage of Bristol. I don't always it's a bit of a dark heritage in some ways, but the uh, the merchant ships going out from Bristol, merchants would buy ships and they'd pay for a crew, they'd send them overseas and expect a return on that investment. They'd expect that ship to come back with. You know, it's, it's a sordid past, a lot of that story, isn't it? But uh, come back with, with wealth and riches and so on. And that's the, the principle of investment is you, you pay out something, you put in a, a down payment, you, 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 cut, you spend something, and you get back in, uh, more in return. And uh, I was looking through the, the New Testament, and uh, there's loads of, um, loads of passages, loads of sections which talk about uh, work that we have to do. And so that's kind of what I want to look at this morning is, is the kind of work that God has for each one of us to do. Over the last um, three weeks before last week when Pastor Cho spoke, Paul Golf was um, speaking here on the Holy Spirit. And uh, a lot of what he was saying about the Holy Spirit was he was t- talking about our identity um, uh, as followers of Jesus, being people that have this extraordinary deposit, this, this spir- the Spirit of God living inside us. And so we live alongside um, Others in the world, we live along the same, you know, in the same streets, we go to the same workplaces, schools, whatever, shops, as people who don't know God, uh, that don't know Jesus. And yet we have this extraordinary um, uh, under- revelation that actually we, we, we've been made by God and we've been created by him. And, and, and we have a, a plan, he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. 
Duncan and I were talking just on Tuesday at One Church One Day about it's been wonderful at Hope here for the last 10 years or so. We've been really investing in knowing who, who we are in Christ, knowing what our identity is. And when, you, and when we know who we are, when we know that we're children of God, we, you know, we know that we'll, we'll always continue to grow to know that more and more as life goes on. But the more we know that, the more, the more we can relax, <laughs> the more extraordinary things we can do, the more, the more we can love people in an amazing way. Life just works so much better when we understand who we are. So we, I think as a church, we've grown a lot in the past decade, 15 years, in understanding our identity. And on top of that... Um, on top of our identity, the original design, the unique crea- creations that each one of us has, the Bible says that God's given each of us good works to do, uh, that he's planned in advance. And that's what we want to look at today. Um, so I've got a few verses here to start us off. Um, can you, I don't know if you can read this, okay? It's uh, from Matthew 5. Jesus said, Let your light shine before others in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father is in heaven, who is in heaven. I wonder what these good works are. Uh, John chapter 6, Jesus says this, The work God wants you to do is this, to believe in the one he sent. So this is what our, some of what our work is. This is probably the fullness of what our work is, actually, uh, as followers of Jesus, is to believe in the one he sent. So uh, as Christians, we have a completely different um, motivation, understanding of the world and way in which we live. And everything, actually, should come out of this place of, because Jesus is real... Therefore, I'm going to do this. Because Jesus is real, I'm going to forgive that person who is really nasty to me. Because Jesus is real, I'm going to risk my home and my family in order to do this. Because Jesus is real, I'm going to be kind to the person sitting next to me, even though they're looking, I don't know, disinterested. Um, John 19. So with, with Jesus, we see a, a, a big call, don't we? we see, what's, what's, the big, what's the big work Jesus had to do? The cross, the cross. And so the big, you know, you could say, why did Jesus come to earth? He came to earth to complete this work of faith. Uh, that was what, that was his, probably his big mission, which was to restore all people to himself, to die on the cross and to rise from the dead. And as he's sitting, as he's hanging there on the cross, um, I don't know if you remember, but someone gave him some wine on a sponge. He drank this wine and then he said, it is finished, meaning it's done. It's accomplished. The work I came here to do, um, has been completed. I've, I've completed my work. And then uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says this. So again, he was aware of what his life purpose, his, life, his life's work was. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So I wonder, where do these, where do these leave you in terms of thinking about what your works of faith are? Um, if I had to try and summarize what my work of faith, my big picture, Jesus had his dying on the cross, Paul had his taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, to be honest, I don't really know what my, my big one is. Um, what does that mean? What, you know, I, don't, I don't know. Would you be able to articulate yours? Maybe some people could. I'd guess that some people can't. This is what, what, what I want to get into today. Um, trying to discover what are, what are the works that we have for us. Because we see it throughout the Bible. And it's pretty important that we know what they are. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are God's masterpiece. So that's our identity. We've been, we've been you know, like a painting, a beautiful painting. We've been created by God. We're God's masterpiece. He's created us 
and new in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good works he planned for us long ago. Interesting, hey? I don't know. Imagine God sitting on a sofa, pondering each one of us, thinking about Jason Lowe and thinking, these are the good works I have planned for Jason Lowe. Maybe he doesn't have, I don't know how, how he does it, but just to consider God contemplating, planning in advance the good works that he has for each one of us to do. Is that on a daily basis? Is that a big picture life plan? Really interesting, hey? What are these good works that he's planned for us to do? Well, in, in uh, Ephesians, um, what, in Ephesians, in the next couple of chapters, chapters 4 to 6, Paul seems to unpack what some of these good works are. And I think, as I read the New Testament, I don't see necessarily everyone as having this very clear call. You're going to go to the cross and die. You're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I would struggle to find more than a few other people for whom I could articulate, boom, this was your life's purpose. One solid thing. Establish this. But I think what we see more of as we look in uh, Ephesians, I'm going to just bring out a few examples, is this. Look at this. So Ephesians 4 to, 4, chapters 4 to 6, here are a, bit, a few bits sort of drawn out. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Work hard to be united. 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for encouraging others. And then... Chapter 5, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And I mean, maybe these are a bit more striking to you than they are to me, but for me, I've read these verses so many times, they kind of slightly sort of wash over and can feel a little bit bland, to be honest. <laughs> and I sort of skim them looking for something really dramatic and exciting. And, but what I want to do now is look at a, a kind of a case study that we have in the Bible of um, what this looks like in real life. Because I think these are the works of faith that are actually difficult, but actually transformative to society. So um, there was a guy, um, it's, a, it's a very small little book. It's the shortest letter in the New Testament, and it's hard to find. We forget about it quite a lot. I think it's just before Hebrews. Um, and it's called Philemon. Is that right, just before Hebrews? Do you want to find that in your Bible? So it's just near the end of the New Testament. Has anyone got a page number they can shout out? 919 in the maroon coloured Bibles. Any other, any other numbers? 1007. Okay. We're just going to watch... Um, there's a brilliant thing called the Bible uh, Project, and they do these really good little overviews of and uh, cartoony type things explaining different parts of the Bible. So we're just going to watch uh, a couple of minutes of this, which sets the context. It gives an overview of what Philemon is about. So we're going to watch that before we read it, okay? So just take a note of who the people are, and we're going to do some digging in a minute and look at what were the works of faith for each of these people. Paul's letter to Philemon. It was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments, and it's actually his shortest letter in the New Testament, but don't let its size trick you. It's actually one of the most explosive things that Paul ever wrote. 
Here's the backstory that we can piece together from details within the letter. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus and he became a follower of Jesus. Then later, when Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of a church that met in his house. Now, Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. And at some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe it was theft or maybe he cheated him. We don't exactly know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. Eventually, Onesimus came to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And in the process, he became a follower of Jesus and then a beloved assistant of Paul. And so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation as he writes this letter. He's going to ask Philemon not just to forgive Onesimus and receive him back, but to embrace him as a brother in the Messiah and no longer as a slave. Did you get that? It's quite, it's quite fast. So, um, actually, I've got a picture just here. So this is the, these are the people. Um, so you've got Paul, who wrote the letter. He's the Paul that started many, many churches. And uh, he's in prison at the time of writing this. Then you've got Epaphras, this guy here. And he was kind of partnering with the Paul as a missionary. Then you've got Philemon. So he was living in this town uh, called Colossae, which is kind of Turkey-ish sort of area now. So I was trying to find pictures of what these guys would have looked like. Would he have looked kind of Greek? Would he have looked, would he have had dark skin? Would he have looked like a kind of Roman citizen? I, I, I couldn't really find any photographs. Um, uh, <laughs> Or anything else that even suggested what he might have looked like. Um, but he would have been a kind of wealthy head of a household. And, um, and he, he became a Christian through the ministry of Paul. And then this is, I think this is his wife just here. She's called Aphia. And then this is perhaps their son called Archippus. And then this is Onesimus, who was the slave. And so if you got that in that little video, basically um, Onesimus, we don't know what he did wrong. Maybe he stole from Philemon. Maybe he cheated in some way, whatever, but, um, but he runs away. He becomes a Christian, and then Paul says, okay, I, I'm sending you back to Philemon. And I think that this whole interaction that we see here, this whole um, event, set of events, would have been significant, created significant works of faith for each of these people involved. So I just want to, let's, let's dig into each person and just try and unpick what would be the works of faith um, for each of these people. Remember that thing that, that verse from, that, that, that quote that Jesus said in John 6, he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So what does it look like for each one of these people to believe in the reality and the, the truth and the power of Jesus um, in, this, in this setting? Let's start, with, um, let's start with Philemon. We wanted to have some time to pray afterwards, so I'm just, rather than ask you, I'm just going to say, say my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but for, so for Philemon, um, to take a, to take a runaway slave back into his household would have challenged and really been a massive upset to the whole system of slavery, the whole economy that he lived in, because everyone had slaves in these days, and uh, all, all, all the big household owners would have had slaves, and you had to, you know, keep your slaves in check. It's a, it's a brutal reality. Um, and, if, and the punishment for a slave being disobedient was death. They should be killed. 
Uh, and if you don't follow through with that, then the, the risk is, is society falls apart. And other slaves will just run away, do as they please. So Paul is saying to Philemon, uh, receive Anisimus back, welcome him back into your household, and more than that, welcome him as a brother, because he's now a believer in Jesus. The person that, I don't know, don't know what, washed your feet, cleaned your house, that you were presumably very rude to and treated like property, that person, I'm telling you, you need to welcome him back into your household as a brother. Imagine them sitting together at a church service next to each other where normally um, Anisimus would have brought Philemon whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it. They're sitting together as, uh, as, as, as equal people in that, in, that, in that space of church. But then can you imagine as well Philemon's relationships with his other, the other local households and businessmen? Wouldn't they have been furious with him? They'd say, Philemon, what are you doing? You're going you're gonna to destroy my, not just your, you can, you, know, you can throw your household away, you can throw your money away, but you're, you're, you're going to destroy our town. You know, you're going to, I'm not going to do business with you anymore. I'm, I'm, our friendship is over. I'm not interested in you. Uh, so you can imagine Philemon could well be shunned uh, and, um, and lose security, friendship, just become, just forced into isolation. So this is a significant work of faith that Philemon is needing to engage with if he's going to do what Paul is saying is the right thing to do. And then how about Anisimus? And um, Again, we don't really know the, a lot of the details of what Philemon and everyone were like before they became a Christian. But in, in this world, in this kind of Roman, Greco world with slaves and so on, it was normal for slaves to be physically abused, maybe even sexually abused by their owners. Um, we, we don't know the, the details of that, but the, and presumably at some point Philemon became a Christian. And you'd expect when the Spirit of God is inside someone, then it becomes unnatural to, to carry on behaving like that, doesn't it? You, can, you, you, know, you can't abuse someone in the same way as you have with the Spirit of Christ inside you. And so you'd, you'd imagine that Philemon would have changed his behavior if he had been nasty. Maybe he'd always been quite nice. I don't know. We don't know. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of people in those times would have been pretty brutal with their slaves. So Paul is saying to Onesimus, uh, go back into that place of, of, of pain. He, presumably he ran away because he had a pretty horrible experience there in some way. Go back into that place where you've maybe had some trauma. Um, it's much easier to run, isn't it? It's much easier to run and avoid having to restore relationships when they've been broken. But Paul's saying, go back there. Be significant about who you are. Know that Jesus loves you. Know that you're a brother. So for Philemon, just to, sorry, for Onesimus, just as much as for Philemon, it's a real challenge to go back into that place of, of um, that household and to be, uh, to be living there. wonder what it's like for the rest of the family as well. And then for Paul, we see, we see in some of the other letters that he writes how Paul has a really real emotional concern for, for the churches. He really loves the churches. He talks about how night and day he prays and he has anguish and he's, he's, he's a deep concern for the church. So I, I would imagine for Paul, he's written this letter. It doesn't get much instant response. No social, it's not a social media thing. It's not a text or a WhatsApp. It's a letter which would have been carried probably by Epaphras taking weeks to get there without any sort of instant feedback. So you can imagine Paul finding this all quite a, quite a weight as well. This, this, these two people that feel like maybe like sons to me, Philemon and Onesimus, calling them to be reconciled. And his work of faith is, okay, I'm at a distance and I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust that these two, my two boys, are going to, um, are going to get on here. 
I'm powerless to do anything. All I can do is, uh, is, I, can, is I can send this message and, and, and teach them the way of Christ. And then I can pray and intercede and, and pray on their behalf. But I can't make them reconcile. So then if we, so that's the, a little, little insight, a little snapshot into the household of Philemon and what the life of faith, what the works of faith might look like in that setting. If we go back to our uh, previous, um, go back to the Ephesians verses again here, which I was a bit dismissive of initially, um, and look at, read these things again in the context of Philemon's household. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Work hard to be united. Okay, so imagine that in the dynamic between Onesimus and Philemon. Philemon's right, right. We're, we're, we're gathering together to worship. I've got this betraying slave next to me. And I've forgotten my water. Philemon, uh, Onesimus, go and get my... Oh no, I can't say that anymore. You're my brother. Uh, can I get you a drink of water, Onesimus? And... Um, and walking to the marketplace and seeing his fellow um, household owners and you know household leaders and so on there, and they're talking, they're whispering about um, Philemon. He's that guy that we need to sort him out. We need to make sure he doesn't get any more business with us. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Work hard to be united. Imagine that the the, um, the the household. You know, let's say because pe- when people become Christians, we don't we don't just change immediately to become perfect, do we? Anyone? <laughs> um, it's a journey, isn't it? And I, I just look back at my, my early years of following Christ and that, with real embarrassment about some of the things that I did. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm moving hopefully into more maturity. But it takes time for our, our characters to change. So Onesimus wouldn't have blasted back into Philemon's house and suddenly been the golden boy that gets everything right. Presumably he'd have snapped at times. Maybe he'd have run off again a few times, you know, just in the way that he responded and dealt with, um, you know, settling back into that household in a different sort of, in a different sort of way. He would need encouragement. He'd need reminding. He'd need Philemon to say, could you imagine the powerful thing where Philemon says, Anissimus, I don't any longer call you a slave, but I call you a brother. Can you imagine how powerful those words would have been? The, the one who'd in the past spoken so harshly suddenly becomes the one that speaks life and encouragement. So I think my, my uh, encouragement to us from this thing about God has prepared good works in advance for us to do Yes, great, if he has a Damascus Road experience call, you're going to be my light to the Gentiles. Or Jesus, you're going to be the salvation of the whole world. Um, there, there probably are for some of us. I, I don't include myself in this just yet. But some people here, a sense of a big picture, this is your life's work, your life's call. But for all of us, we, we, there is a call on us to do these good works. They might seem like small, they might seem like, but I just want to know the grand plan. I want to know what the big thing is. I think the beauty of walking with Jesus is that as we do these small things, these everyday things, um, then life works and things change. And as we add to that, um, these other features, so intercession. I think one of my big takeaways from having the Koreans here, um, I was asking him, uh, Pastor Cho, what's been the, what's, what have been the answers that you've seen to prayer? What's the cause and effect of your, you pray so much. Tell me the things that have happened as a direct result of your prayer. And he was like, it's really hard to say cause and effect of prayer. 
to, to trace it back. But what we do see is we see a, 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 the blessing of God on our lives. We see a fruitfulness over our lives. We see that life works and things happen. It doesn't mean we're free from suffering. It doesn't mean we're free from pain. He's it told how his wife had died, uh, didn't he? It was very moving. Um, but, uh, but actually life works. God's kingdom comes when we pray. So, I'd love to spend the next five, ten minutes, uh, spend a couple of minutes praying and, set, and asking God, what are, the, what are the works of faith for me? It might be that you're conscious of a big call. It might be that you're thinking about your, maybe you think about where you're going to be tomorrow morning. What's, where, where are you tomorrow morning? You're at home, you're at work, what are you, what are you, in an education place, what are you doing? And what does it look like in those relationships, those people that you're with, to be, um, to be doing works of faith in that space? So we'll have a couple of minutes just listening and then I think we'll maybe in twos or threes pray for each other and bless each other uh, in our particular works of faith, in our particular uh, challenge, okay? So Holy Spirit, um, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're in our midst. And we pray now that you, you speak to us and you highlight to us, to each of us, what are the works of faith that you have for each of us? What does it look like for us to invest, to dig in? to believe in the reality of Jesus. We silence our flesh in the name of Jesus. We silence the voice of the enemy and we say, Holy Spirit, please speak to us. And then share with the person next to you, two or three, as you're, as you're comfortable, if you're comfortable, and um, what that looks like for you. And then, and then bless each other. So we as Christians, we have authority to bless each other. The priests in the Old Testament would speak a blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face smile upon you, be gracious to you, give you his peace. So boldly just bless, bless each other. If people aren't really sure what their works are, then bless them in, uh, to, to discover what they are. Okay.